You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Happy New Year's Eve, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg here with David Rumel, and to celebrate the new year, uh, David and I came up with a bunch of New Year's resolutions for different NBA players, teams, coaches, GMs. It doesn't matter. Anything NBA-related goes. Uh, let's just get right into it, David. You prepared your own list. I have my own list. We haven't seen each other's lists yet, um, but let's uh, let's just start with yours. Yeah, it was kind of hard not to make this into my own personal wish list. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's how it always works out, especially when you're you're proposing resolutions for other people to make for themselves. But I'm I still wanted to keep it a little selfishly. You know, obviously I cover the Heat full time, and um, you know, I, I wanted to. I wanted Bam Adebayo to resolve for him to get a jump shot. I, I think mm-hmm. I, I think his game has evolved so much, and you've seen that growth over the last few years when you were covering the Heat, too. And and just the version of him that he is right now. Uh, you know, I, this past weekend, I managed to – I watched him go up against both the Pacers and DeMontis Sabonis and the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid. And for him to hold his own, he actually dominates Sabonis. Sabonis was pretty much shut out for that game, and Embiid – Although he had a big scoring night, I think Bam accepted that challenge really well. And I think we're starting to see more and more people around the league notice Bam and his incremental growth. And and the one thing that's missing from him is a jump shot because he can space the floor so well if he had that jump shot. And aside from that, he's already got the passing down pat. He's got the not necessarily a low post game, but he, he does so much around the rim. Uh, he's such a great playmaker for everybody else, and he's such a great defender, one through five. And so that's the only missing aspect of his game. It's a little, you know, selfish, as I said, because I do cover the Heat. But at the same time, I just want to see him make that growth a little bit more and, and have him become a complete player because he's he's just shy a jump shot. His numbers are never so gaudy that for the people who don't watch Miami regularly, everybody dismisses Adebayo's impact. But I think you're starting to see more and more people from Zach Lowe to, to others around the league just kind of say, you know what? That Adebayo kid, he's pretty good. He's only 22, and he's already shown so much versatility both on defense and on offense. And that the one thing that's missing, I, resol- I my resolution for him is that he gets that kind of floor-spacing jump shot. Yeah, I actually kind of disagree with you. I think that people are starting to to really appreciate Bam's impact on the floor. I mean, you watch two or three Miami Heat games, and it, he just jumps off the screen. And I, I've started to hear a lot of, of buzz around him. Uh I actually almost included the Miami Heat on my on my New Year's resolution list as, and my resolution would have been just stand pat, don't do anything, just oh, yeah. no no Chris Paul trades, nothing like that. Just okay. you might have your second superstar already with Bam, just the way he's been able to play. And if he does get that jump shot like your resolution is, then yeah, he's gonna be that second superstar that they need now. I don't know if that makes them an NBA Finals team. I don't know if that makes them a favorite in the East. I don't know. But what I do know is that they've got something good going here. Tyler Hero looks incredible for them. I mean, there's no reason to rush into anything if you're them. Yeah, I agree. And and, and you're standing pat. I mean, that's that's a point of contention. I think uh, a lot of Heat fans keep proposing trades there. And the, the consensus seems to be, even from pundits around the league, is that, oh, they're just shy, a superstar. But the reality is they may already have that star. And if not, they still have, like, this incredible core that backs up Jimmy Butler and they're contributing. They found so many different ways to win over the weekend, you know, two one point wins against the Pacers and Sixers that came down to the wire, obviously. And, and just everybody contributing from hero to Goran Dragic to Bam to Butler. Uh, you know, it, it was been, it's been a very well-rounded effort in Miami. So I don't know that they need that second star there. And I agree with you that a trade is probably not necessary, at least not at this point. 
I'm going to stay in the Eastern Conference for my my first New Year's resolution here. And it's for the Eastern Conference to have their number eight seed have a better record than the number eight seed in the Western Conference, which hasn't happened in several, several years. As of as of today, going into tonight's games or uh, going into Monday night's games, Orlando and Portland both have 14 wins and they're both their respective conferences eighth seed. So it is possible, right? Like the West is pretty top heavy. That that seven eight spot in the West is pretty fluid. It could be anybody from you know the a, a team like Portland or San Antonio to you know Sacramento or Phoenix could end up sneaking in there possibly. So it's pretty fluid there. The East is I don't think as fluid. I kind of feel like we know what the the eight or nine teams in the mix are going to be for the most part, and I think that gives them a chance for the first time in a long time to actually be a little bit deeper than the Western Conference. Yeah, I, I like that resolution. And and another thing that I'm starting to see buzz about, too, is that the Eastern Conference might be for the first time, well, in a long time anyway, comparably strong to the Western Conference. I, I think the narrative, and it's one I disagree with. I know our former co-host, Ben Golliver, uh, used to have his opinion about the Western Conference, too. I, I Look, I, I think the East has been as good as it could be over the last few years. They actually, you know, they had a number of titles go into the Eastern Conference from Miami to Toronto, even Boston going back to 2008. So I don't think it's been as lopsided as a lot of people make it out to be. Obviously, the the lower rungs, the eighth seeds and below, have been well below 500 for a number of years now. But I think you're starting to see that the Eastern Conference is, if not dominant, at the very least, they're teams to contend with. I mean, they have some very good teams, both at the top, even in the mid-level there. And, and I think you're starting to see it even out, which is kind of ironic considering the fact that Kawhi Leonard joins the Clippers this year, that you have LeBron James going to the Lakers two years ago. So you have some of the best players in the league moving to the West and still somehow the East has managed to make growth uh, in its own way. So I, I think it's a pretty excellent resolution on your part. Yeah, and I, and I think you look at the West and they have all the established stars. But the East has all the, the new stars. They have all the developing guys, right? They Like, the East has Giannis and Joel Embiid and Bam Adebayo. The West has LeBron and Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis and, and Steph Curry and all these guys. I mean, I, I you could be looking at a situation where maybe this isn't the only time that the East is a little bit deeper, maybe a little bit where, where their playoff teams have better records than the West playoff teams. So it could be something that we're looking forward to. When it comes to the NBA, we talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. We see it more and more every day with the best athletes in the world during this era of load management. Rest, and specifically sleep, is one of the most essential elements for both mental and physical health. Your mind is like any muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain to sleep better have less stress, and perform at your best. If you head to calm.com slash LockedOnNBA, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. For years, I was a huge advocate of falling asleep to the sounds of nature, and Calm offers a great variety of sounds and much, much more. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. And for a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on NBA. That's calm.com slash locked on NBA. Uh, what's your next resolution? Well, it, it's uh, also in the Eastern Conference, but, uh, you know, based on what I saw the Sixers last year, or, sorry, or this weekend, I, I was, my resolution is for Elton Brand and the Philadelphia 76ers top brass 
to keep Brett Brown as coach. Uh, they should resolve to keep Brown as their head coach because there seems to be a lot of buzz. Uh, you know, they lost a, lot, a couple of tight games in Orlando on Friday and then against Miami on Saturday. And, you know, the, the seat seems to get a little warmer for Brett every time. And I just think he's a I think he's a good coach. I think he's a, a good person to talk to. I like his honesty, his openness, the fact that he holds his players accountable. Uh, and, and more importantly, though, when it comes to Brown, it's just I mean, think about his career in Philadelphia, not not, you know, whatever his his background from the Spurs is and everything else happens to be that notwithstanding his, his tenure with Philadelphia has been more tumultuous than any coaches, I think, in NBA history. I mean, from the fact that he was there to expected to lead this group throughout the process and the rebuilding phase to the fact that, you know, eventually he was starting to incorporate even the stars that would form and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and start to bring them in there. Then last year, finally, when they're starting to get some some foothold into calling on an identity after making the playoffs, which is pretty impressive all on its own, they add Jimmy Butler to the mix, and that throws the, the dynamic off yet again. Then they lose Butler, and he's expected to rebuild this team. And so it just seems like the criticism has been so unfair and unwarranted because, you know, you see bad franchises make this mistake all the time in firing their coach. They never get a chance to build any kind of culture. Brown is just as much a, a part of whatever culture they have building in Philadelphia in the first place, but they just keep changing. They keep moving the goalposts from underneath them, and then it's like it's impossible for him to kind of get the kind of foothold that he needs to really establish anything long term because it just it seems to change from year to year. No, I think that's a really good point. And you you also look at the fact that they came within one bounce of basketball making the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Right. And had that happened, I mean, we're, it's kind of a different conversation. I know he was a little bit on the hot seat last season anyway, towards yeah. the end of last season, but he, they, they kept his job. They kept him in place there. That was, I think, I agree with you. I think that was the right move. I don't know that if you fire Brett Brown, all of a sudden Ben Simmons is going to learn how to shoot threes. I think there's a lot of issues with that <laughs> roster um, that go. None of what he had to do with. Yeah. Right. And maybe, you know, there are certain things probably that he could do better, but I, I don't know that there's another coach out there that is going to do them better than Brett Brown. And I agree with you. I mean, there, you need some sort of threat of consistency there. Um, and by the way, I'm Brett Brown. Is he the only Northeastern coach to be also a player's coach? Because that's pretty interesting. Every every player I talk to that has ever played for Brett Brown loves Brett Brown, and he is definitely a player's coach. And that is rare for a guy from the the Northeast. They're usually the opposite of a player's coach. I wonder is Malone fit that category? I mean, he was he, he Michael Malone. Yeah, he's from New York, but I, I don't know if he's he. I don't know. I don't know if he's necessarily a player's coach. Although I think yeah. a lot of his players have respect for him. Um, but that's a, that's yeah. an interesting choice there. I don't know. I I also bring up the point that you know for every Brett Brown and the situation he's gone through, then you have the 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 inverse, which is you know uh, uh, Steve Kerr or a Nick Nurse, you know having incredible right. success right away when they take over a franchise. And so I think a lot of fans and media folks look at that success immediately and say, well, why isn't Brett Brown taking his talented team to a finals right away? I think it's just it's difficult to do. And I think those are. Those are atypical situations there. I don't think those are the norm. Those are absolutely irregular points. And, and so I don't think that they're valid as far as uh, what the, the expectations should be for a coach and for a team's culture. But anyway, that's, that's just my perspective. Uh, I mentioned Kawhi's shot that got Toronto to the Eastern Conference Finals. And uh, Kawhi is the subject of my next resolution. Kawhi, open up a little bit, man. I mean, this whole 
a reporter asked you what you like to do on Christmas and he says, that's private. I don't talk to you guys about that. Yeah. Like, this this whole act is getting really tired. Is right? it an act? I mean, is it, it an act, it, though? I mean, it's whatever it is. I'm tired <laughs> of it. Whatever it is, I'm tired of it. I mean, he doesn't look. I'll, there's a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, you treat the media. the You know, why should tell them anything? Why tell them anything is because the fans indirectly pay your paycheck and the media is basically a vessel for the fans to get information about these players that they care so much about. Uh, you don't play a quarter of the season in the first place. I mean, you might as well at least give your fans something, some sort of insight into who you are. And and I, it's just it comes off to me as very pretentious and it comes off to me as rude. And I, I just don't think that he should be treating people like that. And. I think he could probably learn something from LeBron James. I mean, I know that him and LeBron have this whole spat overload management, but you know what the one thing LeBron does? He can control his message. He can control his narrative. And it just seems like Kawhi, instead of trying to figure out how to do that, runs and hides away from the media. So Kawhi, your resolution is to take on a new challenge and learn how to control your own message instead of being in New Balance commercials where you don't have to even say a word. This is the new challenge. Don't run and hide from the media. You know... I saw the video and it kind of lacked context there. I mean, maybe a lot of people don't think context is necessary, but I mean, we've both been in enough scrums where, you know, you ask a question, maybe there's a bad vibe there. And maybe the, the player, you know, Kawhi in general does not like to speak very often anyway. Uh, maybe he just didn't feel comfortable sharing it. Maybe he would have done it outside of the scrum. Maybe if it had been a one-on-one or a sidle or something like that, it would have been a little different. But he doesn't do them. Yeah, the, I, the clip, yeah. Have you, I I don't know if you've heard about this, but like the Clippers are, are not granting one-on-ones with Kawhi. That their PR staff has basically succumbed to everything Kawhi and does and it doesn't want to do. And, yeah, it was the same as Toronto last year. Yeah, it's the same. And it's just, it. I understand you have to cater to your superstar. I get it, but now like I'm putting the onus on Kawhi Leonard. Like, stop hiding, stop hiding. I don't care that if you're uncomfortable with it. Like you like there is a certain like you're not allowed to just go play basketball. That's not the way it works. Like this is the NBA. They're multi-million dollar TV deals and and media conglomerates are are basically based on star players being celebrities. And I if you're not going to play a quarter of the season and you're just going to you're going to hide every single time anybody asks you anything personal. I just I don't appreciate it. And this is the guy who says, like, oh, I'm a fun guy. It's like, are you? Because you don't seem like it. And if you are such a fun guy, why don't you let us know? Yeah, I mean, it, it could have just been a, a simple answer. You say, oh, spending time with friends or family. Like, you don't yeah. have to go into detail. You didn't have to be like, well, I can't wait to get socks or, you know, whatever great present you expect to get on Christmas. For I mean, for a multimillionaire, what kind of what kind of presents do you get on Christmas anyway, considering you're you're as rich as you are and you can afford anything you want to? But, you just know, it's an answer. That's a yeah, great exactly. point. And it's like, what? Well, and, you know, you don't have to be out there just going all in and posting, you know, Instagram videos of Taco Tuesday like LeBron is. But just be polite. Be a normal human person. Like, but don't it's, be it's, so rude to these people. It is important, though, because you bring up a good point. Like, how much longer do we have LeBron and that honesty and the way the narrative has changed? Look, I mean, he was a kid. When he first came into the league, and I don't know that even with all the exposure he'd already received from ESPN and Sports Illustrated, et cetera, that he was as media savvy or friendly or comfortable. Uh, But eventually he got to that point. And I think, you know, we saw him transform early throughout his career, the decision and everything else. His tenure in Miami was uh, one of uh, changing the narrative almost 180 degrees. Uh, but, you know, for Kawhi, like he's expected to be the the face of the NBA, the league over the next few years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's lucky that we have a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo to kind of play off that so that we have somebody who comes across 
almost exactly the inverse as as Kawhi does. For, you know, mm-hmm. he's so friendly, he's open, he's making commercials where he's playing pickup games in the middle of gyms in Milwaukee, ostensibly. It's just, that's a very, very different version of the guy that we see in Kawhi. So it, it's it's important from that perspective then, because then you have you have these guys who are going to be, you know, available to the casual fan, the peripheral fan, and they need to be able to connect with them. You know you know a lot about LeBron. You, you see him playing with his family. You see Taco Tuesday. You see him being in Space Jam eventually. These kinds of things matter to those peripheral fans. What do you know about Kawhi other than he's one? And I don't know that that means a lot for, you know, 29 other fan bases outside of San Antonio and Toronto, I guess, 28 other fan bases. So it's just, it's important for him to kind of make these connections. And if he's not comfortable with it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Derrick Rose where he's just, he never was comfortable. He never had that kind of support. Like I know there's fierce loyalty from Rose fans and from Chicago Bulls fans, but as an MVP you would think he would have more support outside, like almost league-wide. Yeah. I just never saw that from him. And I think we're starting to see that from Kawhi also. Like where you love him because he's on your team and because he's very damn good as a basketball player. But it's kind of hard to kind of connect with him. Maybe in a sense that that one year that he spent in Toronto helped a little bit because, you know, he just went there, accomplished his mission, well, and was able to move yeah, on. Yeah, he, he, he's looked at as this assassin kind of thing. And yeah. and right now it's, it's this sort of endearing you know, I don't want to talk to the media sort of complex, but it's going to get tired. It's going to get old. And I think you, you made a great point there. If, if and when, I guess, LeBron eventually retires uh, and Kawhi's the guy, well, it, I think at that point it'll get really it'll get really old. And I, I think there will be a point maybe when he's not coming off of an incredible championship run and people are getting a little sick of it. And I'm already sick of it, so that's why it's my resolution. What's your next New Year's resolution? Well, it's more of a team now rather than any individual player and it's just maybe it's a little too vague or cliche but i I just want the knicks to fight figure it out like i i mean i i know this is probably pretty lame and and we probably could be making the same resolution for them for over the past 10 years but like at some point i just get tired of the arguments about oh the league is better with new york when they're better or you know what's the problem is it fizdale is it the roster is it James Dolan is it is it the you know the, all the pressure of being in the Big Apple all the different narratives I mean at some point I, it, I just get sick of it I, I just want the team to be decent decent and I don't think it's look I, I don't have any general managerial experience I'll be 100% honest with you I think you knew that about me but at the same time like like there are pretty simple tenets to roster building that feel like they should be applied to most teams to a lot of teams and and somehow there are some groups that just seem to miss the mark completely, and the Knicks certainly fall into that category. I, I mean, I know as we're looking at the last decade now that it's come to a close or it will be coming to a close tomorrow, I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, what's the worst team in the league? I think Golden State has emerged as probably the best team of the decade. Now, which one's the worst? And I think there's a pretty strong case to make for the New York Knicks, and whether it was intentional or not. Like, you see the Philadelphia Sixers going through the process. At least that was intentional. At least that was a plan. And for the most part, it's paid off. What can you say about the Knicks other than they, they tried, sort of, and everything seems to have backfired and failed for them? Like, I, I would just I just want them to figure it out. Hire the right people. Stick with them. Come up with a clear, concise, and consistent message and just deliver on that. Because, I, I frankly, I'm tired of... Knicks fans always bemoaning the, the existence uh, and, and for everybody to kind of wait for the Knicks to turn out to be better and, and always failing to do so. So I just I, I want the Knicks to be good. I don't think that's all well, I have to ask for. The Knicks, I mean, apparently it is a lot to ask for. Well, <laughs> the, 
the Knicks, their whole plan was to, okay, we're just going to sign Kevin Durant. And yeah. then that plan didn't happen. And before Kevin Durant, it was, oh, well, we'll just sign Carmelo Anthony or we'll just sign Amari Stoudemire. And it was just, that's always been the plan. And just, you can't do that in this league anymore. Even if you have Kevin Durant or Amari Stoudemire or Carmelo Anthony, whoever it is, like there's, there's so many superstars in this league at this point that just having one or two of them isn't enough. You do have to build a culture. You have to build a roster. You have to build, like you said, like a unified theory, a unified message, something that you, that you guys stand for and kind of march toward. And they don't, ever do that instead you've got james dolan getting on the radio and be like that's kevin durant and kyrie they're coming here and then it turns out they don't <laughs> and they kind of and then they just screw the pooch that way uh and that seems to be what their plan is right now I mean, unless they feel, feel like you know you could build around rj barrett or something like that or maybe you could build around seven power forwards maybe that's the grand the grand plan there but I, I i am interested to see like let's say your new year's resolution does come to fruition and the knicks somehow get good next year i wonder if it will actually be good for the nba I don't like the Knicks have been so bad and yeah. they have stunk so much over the last two decades. Like at, if they actually do get good, I don't know. Like, is it better for the NBA? I don't know. I mean, I think we all just assume one of these New York teams has to be better and it must make the NBA better. I don't I don't know if that's true. I mean, I don't, I don't think it does. If they finally. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's going to make that much of an impact. Yeah, I, I think I mean the best team of that decade was in Oakland for a number of years there. I don't think I think you know viewership numbers were fine. Everybody was interested in seeing those matchups. I mean, you had LeBron in Cleveland for a number of years. Yeah. I, I think that it's a ridiculous argument to look at the, the the market and say, well, this is necessary for the league. I mean, the Celtics have been bad before. The Knicks have been bad, and the Knicks have been good, and and, and it's okay. And I think a lot of people still watch basketball because it's good basketball. I just want I want the Knicks to be good because I think. Everybody feels better about the league in general. I mean, I could widen this up and say, you know what? I just want 30 decent teams. I don't want – I'm sick of teams being like in the cellar and kind of just hovering there. I'd rather have mediocrity, if anything, rather than just flat-out incompetence. And, and I, I don't think that's a lot to ask for. Or maybe it is. I, I don't know. But You mentioned the viewership there. That's why I go to my next New Year's resolution is for Adam Silver, Silver, Adam Silver the NBA commissioner, to come up with a better reason to do a midseason tournament. I've seen all this stuff about how to get the players invested – Maybe to get the coaches invested, you know, give them give them like, you know, a million dollars a player for whoever wins or whatever. And and for listeners who don't know, I mean, there, there's this proposition to go to a 30 team in season tournament that would take place after Thanksgiving and before Christmas to just drum up a little bit of more interest in the early parts of of the season before players or before fans, casual fans really start paying attention right around Christmas and New Year. Um, and I just don't understand why you know a Hawks Pacers game at the end of November in the regular season would be more interesting if the players got paid extra for it. Like, how as a fan does does that make me more interested? Oh well, you know, Miles Turner has two million dollars on the line for this. Maybe I'm more interested. No way. Why would I be more interested in watching that? They need to find stakes that are immediate. I've heard things like, oh, you know, the winner of this midseason tournament gets a draft pick. If I'm a fan again, why would I watch it? I could just look on ESPN and say, oh, the Pacers won. Now they get a draft pick. Like, there needs to be a reason to watch, just like there's a reason to watch the playoffs, just like there's a reason to watch the NBA Finals. There needs to be a reason to watch, and that's why I like the play-in game. It's like a wild-card spot. That makes sense. There's real stakes, immediate stakes that you know that will affect everything at the buzzer. That's what this team needs. That's what this tournament needs. And I feel like Adam Silver and the NBA and the the Players Association are kind of missing the boat on that. Again, I, I just... I don't know why a 30 team, like it's still a regular season game that just 
helps the players get up to play for it. And I just don't know why, as a fan, it would get me up to watch it. Yeah, I, I mean, doesn't it come down to ultimately like so much of the league and, and any kind of corporation does about like sponsorships, like having the Doritos in tournament championship or whatever it is? I mean, <laughs> like I, I feel like that's what ultimately what the, the the reasoning for this is because it doesn't it doesn't change viewership. It's not going to get more people involved there if the stakes are as as you point out. Well, that's out. exactly it. I mean, it, it's to get that those increased viewerships. It's to get the it's. You know, Adam Silver's looking at TV ratings, and he's clearly concerned about them. And I think the idea is to boost TV ratings with an in-season tournament. But again, why would you watch if there's nothing at stake? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no attachment to it there. I mean, it, it has to be, it has to be handled differently. Like, what's what, what would get the casual fan or fans in general more interested in, in seeing regular season games? I mean. A lot of that has to do maybe with like the start times for tournaments. Like when would when would the tournament air? I mean, that's another thing to consider too. Is it going to be like daytime tournaments, like right. uh, the World Cup, or is it going to be like at night, like Western Conference matchups and things of the sort? Like, I mean, how are you going to get East Coast fans to stay up for a Sacramento Portland game in the middle of this tournament? Like, none of that seems to matter to them. So I, I can't imagine it being an appeal against you know for most fans anyway. So it's it's a concern. It would have to. It would have to it would have to have something playoff related. Like if you win the tournament, you get a first round buy, or if you win the tournament, you automatically get a bid into the wild card playoff or something to that effect. It would have to literally affect your chances in a meaningful way to go and win the championship at the end of the season, which is a thing that everybody cares about. Uh, so if you're, if you're a team that is participating in the, if you're, or I should say, if you're a fan of a team that is in this 30 team tournament, uh, and you know if they win it, that it helps your playoff chances in this way. I actually think Bill Simmons came up with an interesting idea where you go, you go, you change from record to a point system in the NBA, and the winner of the tournament gets X amount of points towards their record, and then you do your playoff seeding based on those points as opposed to just wins and losses. And I kind of think that's going in the right direction because now the fans are interested. Now the fans have a reason to watch and say, this matters. What happens now can affect my team's chance to win the championship. But again, um, I think that it's some, that's the sort of road that the NBA need to go down. They need to be more concerned about the fans actually watching it as opposed to the players being invested in it. Um, that's a good point. All right. I know you and I had, those were our main new year's resolutions. You and I kind of came up with a couple more half baked ones. Let's go speed round really quick. What do you got? I want Carl Anthony Towns to be happy wherever he is. I know we're kind of playing this off the news that he, he you know, he's somewhat disgruntled in Minnesota, as you can expect. Uh, they haven't won a lot of games there. I just want him to find happiness somewhere because I think if we're, if we're talking about ratings and we're talking about the best players in the world and we're talking about, you know, connecting with fans, I think his game translates so well to that. I think it's such a – he plays the game so wonderfully, beautifully even. Uh, and I think for a lot of casual fans – there's nothing to really care about because Carl Anthony Towns plays in Minnesota and Minnesota's not particularly good. The one year they were, they were with Jimmy Butler and it was a completely different style of play there, but I want him to be happy. I want him to be on a team where they make the playoffs and I'm not sure what that team is. I'm not sure if a move is necessary, but I want him to be, I want the casual fan to be exposed to Towns and I want Towns to be able to find a situation where he can flourish and he can find a way to win and maybe even reach the playoffs. I've got one for the Milwaukee Bucks. Their defensive rating right now of 101.3 would be the best defensive rating since 2015-2016. It's a very long time. It would be three points three points per 100 possessions better than their first-place defensive rating last season. I'm, 
I've said a couple of different times that I, I still don't believe in the Milwaukee Bucks as a title contender because if just because Giannis has gotten so much better than he has last year, it doesn't change my my opinion on the Bucks. I, I don't think that their problem last year was Giannis. I don't know that more Giannis is going to fix those problems. But if they have a, a almost you know borderline historically good defense, then we're really then we've really got something. If you've got Giannis playing at this level with the best defense we've seen in half a decade. Uh, I think that then you have a real chance considering that Kawhi is no longer in the East. So that's my New Year's resolution for the Bucks: Maintain that defensive rating of 101.3. Uh, what's your last one? I've got uh, something about officiating for the NBA referees. Just call less fouls. Like, I, I think, I, you've now, you know, I've never really put any kind of onus on officiating. I think every game is impacted by officiating to some degree. And I, I've stopped, you know, caring about it for many years now. But I just think, you're starting to see people complain about replay, which to me is perfectly fine because you want to be able to get it right in certain situations there. Um, but you also see the last two-minute report. Nobody's ever happy with that because every team winds up feeling like they, they failed somehow or they got screwed over. And then you see calls getting argued all the time. You, I mean, we just had a team complain about a stupid, meaningless call and say, come on, give us a chance to replay this game. Even though there was what and in the second quarter when it actually happened, like it had no bearing on the impact of the game. And I just think you see fans and everybody else start to complain about officiating so much. What's the best time in basketball? Like, like the best moments in basketball are, are during those flurries in the last two minutes of a close game when refs, quote unquote, swallow the whistle. Why? Because you're not getting these kind of stupid ticky tack fouls that happen on every play. You're getting action. You're getting adventure. You're getting excitement building up towards something special. If you call the game less and less, I think you'll get 40 minutes of that as opposed to just two minutes of that. And I think it's a lot more exciting for the fans. I agree with you. And my last resolution is for the Sacramento Kings. On the heels of this Dwayne Dedman news, who's already demanding a trade, it's can you just go one season after signing a veteran over the summer? Can you just go one season without that veteran demanding a trade out of Sacramento? Can you just get one veteran experienced player signing right without that player just trying to force his way out after a couple of months? That's my New Year's resolution to Sacramento Kings. Sign a player and make that and have a plan for that player who you sign to make that player happy. That's all I'm saying. Just have a reason to sign that player. Um, so those are the, that, those are all of our New Year's resolutions. We'll see how many actually come to fruition. But this has been Locked On NBA, your daily podcast on all things NBA. For David Ramil, I'm Wes Goldberg. Catch you next time.